Okay, we've been talking about the doctrine of the scriptures and God's written revelation to us. And we talked about how it is the revelation of truth from God to us. Our Creator God has spoken to us and the prophets wrote it down. And the Bible is a book unlike any other book that we have. It is from God who literally spoke it by putting the uh, words into the minds of the ears of the prophets, and they wrote it down, and he did that through the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it is without error. It's without error. And we talked a little about last week about how God preserved that, the Word of God, and the copies. He made, moved His people to make multiple copies, and there are more copies of the Bible than any other ancient writing. It's not even close, the number. In the, the copies of the Bible are in the thousands. And in all other ancient writings, you only have just a few copies. The most, 10 to 15 to 20, something like that. And in the Bible, it's 5,000 New Testament copies that we have. Not all total manuscripts, but some of portions. But we have 5,000 different copies we can look at. That's a testimony to how God intervened and He preserved His Word through the multiplicity of copies so that it could not be destroyed. Uh, and it couldn't be changed also without being caught. That's, that's God's plan for the multitude of copies. If someone tried to change something over here, and that has happened throughout history, and it's even happening today, one case in point is the New World Translation by the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's promoted as, you, if you open it, it says, this is a copy of the Holy Bible. What if somebody, if God allows time to go on long enough, and it's, you know, 500 years later, it's found. Here's a copy. Here's a copy of the Bible, 500 years old. It says it's the New World Translation. Oh, here's another copy. You, they start reading it. Oh, this is different. This is different than these over here. And through that, they could see, oh, this has been changed. This is different. And it has been through Satan, through a cult, through a, 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 an unchristian cult has changed God's word, changed the wording in it. And it's through the multiplicity of copies and of the uh, ancient text that we have that we can know it guards the errors. So now today I want to talk about how we can have confidence that there are no errors in the Bible and how uh, the unbelieving world has, well, the unbelieving world plus those many have professed to be Christians through the ages or in recent times, some scholars who profess to be believers yet attack the Bible and tried to charge that the Bible has errors in it. So Satan is at work outside the church and inside the church to try to attack the Bible to say it has errors in it. Therefore, you can't totally trust it, and we can just kind of make stuff up as we go along. That, that's, the, that's the attack on the Bible. And it's happened even, like I say, within the church in around the late 1800s, a movement began within seminaries, mostly over in Europe, but then it, it, uh, in Germany, and then it came to America shortly thereafter in the late 1800s, called the modern criticism error where scholars began to look at the Bible and say, well, we have to study, you know, the ancient text here, 
there's a lot of problems there. And historically, there's really problems with the Bible. There's really inaccuracies with the Bible and what it says. And there was a big movement to say, you know, we can't say the Bible doesn't have errors. The Bible does have errors and we just have to understand it's just kind of a religious storybook and we can gain some you know, lessons from it, but we can't, we got to get over this thing of saying the Bible uh, is inerrant. And that began to grow in the late 1800s and it took over most uh, scholarship especially in Europe, and it came to America. Most of the seminaries bought into this and began to teach this. Most of the pastors at the church's level did not believe it. But in the seminaries, the professors were teaching this, and eventually and it did trickle down where more and more pastors began to believe this. But in the early 1900s, there was these charges that said, well, the Bible is historically inaccurate here and here and here and here and here. And it shows us that the Bible really is not accurate. And we have to, have to understand that. What then we know now is through the 1900s, archaeologists found things in their studies. And every time when the Bible was charged with an error, archaeology has always verified the truthfulness of the Bible. And I want to give you several examples of that. And just put this in context of today, if someone says, well, the Bible's inaccurate here, it's inaccurate there. Every time a charge like that is made, you can have confidence that the lack of understanding and the error is on man's part, not on God's part. Every time the Bible's been accused of something in error, it's always been vindicated. Here's some examples. Like say in the early 1800s, man is so foolish in his sinfulness. The prevailing attitude and thought was, and it came out of an evolutionary type thinking from Charles Darwin, uh, who his origin of species in 18, I think 59, it was about that same time period. It came out and was very popular and it was accepted by a lot of these religious scholars and they adopted an evolutionary type thinking. One of the products of that was they thought, well, okay, so we've kind of evolved and prehistoric man first was dumb, dumb, dumb. He couldn't even, couldn't, had no language. You know, he went around with crude tools. And so their attitude was, thinking was, well, they didn't have writing back in the ancient times. That had to develop over time. And what they charged the Bible with, they said, during the time of Moses, which was about 1400 B.C., they said they didn't know how to write. They didn't have writing then. They actually taught this in seminaries, that in the time of Moses, they didn't know how to write. And therefore, they concluded and charged the Bible with an error, say, Moses couldn't even write then. So he could not have written Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy when he lived. It was written by someone much later who said he was Moses because Moses couldn't write. This was the, what was said by educated people from the evolutionary thinking of Charles Darwin. And it made them very, very dumb who had these big, you know, big degrees. But they actually said that. And you'll see that when you go into history museums today even. You'll see these charts and progressions of man, and you'll see these cavemen, and, and they'll say, well, they couldn't do this and this and this. This didn't develop to this. It's all made up. It's all made up. 
We know from the Bible that right off the get-go from Genesis, it said the descendants of Cain, they were, they were developing all types of, of skills and working with all these stuff, making musical instruments. It says there in Genesis, God made man intelligent from the very beginning. In fact, the evidence today actually is opposite, that man in ancient times had much more mental capacity, much more abilities than we do today. Man has devolved over time, not in a sense of evolution, but just in the, in the sense of just our physical abilities. They lived 900 years long before. There was something physically going on. They were much stronger than us. We do good to live 90 years now. 80 is really the lifespan. There are physically, there's physical things going on where we are disintegrating. And I believe that's true mentally also, that they had a mental capacity that we don't have. So it's really opposite is the truth. But anyway, they said, oh, they didn't even know how to write. Well, as archaeologists study, over the 1900s, there was a lot of archaeology done. And they found records of ancient writings that predated Moses. And now they'll say, oh, yeah, okay, the ancient world, yeah, they could write. Yeah, the Egyptians, and all, they can write. They could write. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't what we thought. And so, of course, Moses wrote the first five books, and he was very intelligent. And uh, writing was absolutely going on at that point. I think probably early on in, in the early uh, generations, they developed writing at, at some point. But it was much earlier than uh, what, is, what is thought. A second example, in Genesis, you remember reading that uh, Abraham came from a city called Ur of the Chaldees. That was said to be his hometown, where God called him to leave and go to the promised land from Ur. Well, there was no historical record of a, of a city named Ur in the, in the Chaldean area. And so scholars said, well, here's an error in the Bible. We've found no record of any town called Ur that Abraham was said to be. And so here the Bible's just made up stuff. And, and the basic charge over and over at the Bible is, oh, it's just kind of a fairy tale of ancient religious writings that the writers just made up. They just made details up. And, you know, you just, you poor uneducated people, you just need to understand that, that the Bible's not what you think it is. It's really just made up stories. And, you know, you can gain some moral lessons by some things, but just understand these things really didn't happen like they said. They just made them up. And you've kind of been fooled all this time. That's the attitude of this modern scholarship about the Bible. And it's still alive today. So they said this with Ur's example. It never, it doesn't exist. Never existed. It was just made up. Well, some point in the early 1900s, lo and behold, archaeologists discovered the ancient ruins of Ur of the Chaldees. Not only did they discover the city, they also found some columns on which were inscribed the name Abram, which was Abraham's name before God lengthened it. And so not only did they find the city called Ur, they found a column with Abram's name, Abraham's name on it. That's what archaeologists found in the early 1900s verifying completely the Bible. So they had to, you know, stop saying that one. But there's, they had a long list of other things. 
Uh, a third example is this uh, ancient city Petra. I believe it's listed in one of the minor prophets, Prophecy Against Edom. Petra was said to be a city built in the sides of mountains, in caves, and uh, the Bible talks about Petra. Well, there was no historical record. They, didn't, they had not found a Petra, didn't know of a Petra, and they, and they said, well, see, the Bible has made up another thing here. It doesn't exist. And then at some point they found the city Petra. It was found hidden in the mountains. In fact, it is a, it is a popular stop now. When you go take a tour of, of the Middle East, or, or rather Israel, they, a lot of them will take you down to Petra to visit it. And you can look up and you can see pictures of it. It's, it's built in the side of cliffs, uh, red, red rock. And it's a really interesting thing to, to see. And it's built... Uh, apparently, uh, it's in a valley with mountains all around it and then in these cliffs. Uh, but the mountains kind of like surround it and hide it. And that's why it wasn't known for a long time. But they found it hidden there in the mountains and exactly as the Bible recorded. Another example is the ancient city of Jericho, where archaeologists found it, dug it up, and they found that the ancient walls that it had, there was evidence that they had collapsed at some point and that there was a major fire uh, in the city that destroyed it, which matches exactly the account with Israel when God knocked down the walls of Jericho. The Bible was criticized for this, this story of Israel walking around the, the city walls seven times and they shout and they fall down. They say, oh, well, well, that's a good fairy tale. That never happens. Because, you know, these people who criticize the Bible, they always say, oh, they, it can't be a miracle like that. Those things just don't happen. They always criticize the Bible for miracle stories. And this was one of them. This was a very big target uh, of uh, the unbelievers and these religious scholars to say, this story about Jericho, that's all just made up. And a fairy tale, that can't ever happen. Didn't ever happen. It's just a fairy tale for little kids. And then archaeologists found evidence exactly to verify what the Bible says. It had these ancient walls, and then there was evidence of a major collapse all at one time. Next example is the people called the Hittites in the Bible. This is one of the Canaanite uh, people. Canaanites was a general name for a lot of the original people or lived there at that time. The Hittites was one of them, and uh, they're mentioned numerous times in the Bible. I believe the Gibeonite, the city of Gibeon that made a treaty with Israel, I believe they were Hittites. And this was a very much emphasized charge against the Bible because there was no historical evidence for people called the Hittites. This got a lot of press back in the day. You know, none of y'all were even alive during that time. And you may not be aware of this, but this was a big thing. The Bible was criticized. It talked about a group called the Hittites, and they never existed. And they just scorned the Bible. Look at how the Bible how it just makes up stuff, and people think it's true. They think that they, 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 all these Christian people believe the Bible, and it's just lying to them. There were no Hittite people. That was taught in the seminaries to pastors. And a lot of pastors got taken by. You know, they're sitting there, there's this doctor up there saying, well, there's no evidence of any Hittite people. Oh, it's just so foolish to believe in that. And this pastor sitting there going to listen to this. Well, 
Okay, I guess I don't need to talk about that, about the Bible. It may not be true. And it undermined a lot of people's faith and even the pastors. They're looking at it going, well, how do I deal with this? As time went on, then archaeologists found records of the Hittite people, that it was a very developed civilization, and they found numerous cities, and they found all this evidence for it that showed that the Bible was exactly right in what it presented. And so example after example after example shows archaeology has been a very helpful tool to vindicate the Bible. Now, I say that word because in the process of these making a charge against it, it is vindication. But understand, you know, we don't have to have all these things to believe the Bible. It does come down to a matter of faith. We walk with God by faith. We believe the Bible by faith. There's all kinds of evidence that support that, that point to it. But ultimately, it does come down to a decision of faith. And so even if they had never dug up the Hittite civilization. You know, there's probably still a lot of ruins down under the earth somewhere that we haven't dug up yet of something. We don't have to have those things to believe, but they do serve, when they do find them, they do serve as an answer to all of these critics that we can say, you can trust the Bible. Uh, it is the Word of God. It is without error. And every time archaeology has vindicated the Bible. The book of Daniel is a major, major area of attack by these uh, critics of the Bible. It is still true today. The Daniel prophecy are so detailed about the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire, as Daniel you know, prophesied them. We're looking back at it now, but he was prophesying a forward. And the details of those prophecies are so are so amazing that these critics look at that and say, there's no way Daniel could have wrote this. He, he just could not have known all these things. There's no way. So there, he, he, this must have been written by a later author in the Middle Ages. Had to have been. And they come up with, say, there were two authors. There's first Daniel and second Daniel that they call because they don't know their name. And they say, well, it had to be written later because there's no way he could have known all this stuff about the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire. And one detail was there in the middle of the book, it talks about a ruler called Belshazzar who took over, I believe it was the first ruler with the Medes and the Persians when he took over from the Babylonians. His name was Belshazzar. Well, the critics brought this out repeatedly to say there was, there was no record of a Babylonian ruler named Belshazzar. And they did have records of all the kings. And there was no place. They had, the, they had the years where they ruled. And there was no place. There was no open slot for a ruler called Belshazzar. And they thought they had an open and shut case. Look at here. There's just no way that this Belshazzar could have been a ruler. There's no time period there where he could be in there. There's no gaps in the records. There's no name ever found by this name. And they really hammered this for years, that this was an error of the Bible, of saying there was a ruler named Belshazzar. Well, sometime, I don't have dates for you, uh, but this occurred sometime in the mid-1900s as they dug up 
stuff, uh, archaeology digs. And they came across a tablet. And on that tablet was the name Belshazzar. As a ruler, not only as a ruler of, in the Babylonian, the Medes and Persians, but it gave the detail that this was the son of a ruler called Nabonidus, which they had. They had that guy there. And it turns out that Nabonidus' son was Belshazzar, and Nabonidus was very religious in his, it was a pagan religion, a moon god, by the way, which is very likely the origins of the Islamic Allah, that there was a moon god down in Arabia Peninsula, and he thought that he had offended his god, and he spent all of his time down in Arabia trying to placate this, his moon god that he thought he had offended. And he left his son in Babylon to rule in his place as co-regents. Nabonidus was really the ruler. He was listed as the top ruler, but Belshazzar was actually the one carrying out the rule in place of his father. He was down there dealing with the moon god, but which, by the way, Islam has the symbol as a moon, and it's very likely that's that pagan god. So here, eventually, they found that the Bible was completely accurate, that there was a Belshazzar. And the reason why he wasn't listed on other lists, because he was a co-regent as a son under his father, who was the real king, but yet he was ruling. Daniel dealt with Belshazzar. He didn't deal with Nabonidus because Nabonidus was gone. So the Bible was proven to be exactly accurate, even when it looked like it wasn't for many years. And that's a testimony. You can trust the Bible. It has no errors. It is from God. You can trust it even if you don't have all of the details of how to explain it. For many years, we didn't have the details because they hadn't dug that tablet up. Nevertheless, it was completely accurate. And know that whenever there is apparent error in the Bible, always the fault and the error occurs in the lack there is in the understanding of man, not in the revelation of God. That has been proven true over and over and over again. A couple in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, just one example. Uh, there was a scholar during this time called Sir William Ramsey, most likely had to be from England. And he was one of these skeptics. And he sought out to disprove the Bible historically. And he launched on a study, particularly in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, uh, of all of the records that Luke wrote. And he set out to, dis to show all the inaccuracies of what Luke wrote. And as he researched it and studied the evidence, he became a believer in the process because he found that the Bible proved to be accurate every single time. Here's a couple of examples, two examples of evidence he found. In Acts 13, 7, it speaks of during the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas, when they go across Cyprus, there's a said to be a ruler there called a proconsul on the island of Cyprus, of course, in the Roman Empire. What we know is that there were two classes of rulers in the provinces. The province was a region, kind of like a state in the Roman Empire. And there were two kinds of rulers who were like governors over those provinces. In the Roman Empire, there was Caesar, who was like the federal government. You know, he was the emperor. 
And there were rulers directly under him over the province. There was a there was an imperial province who directly answered to Caesar. That kind of ruler was called a pro praetor. Then you had this Roman Senate that was much like our Congress, and they had some balance of power for a time. A Senate. The Senate controlled provinces, and there were senatorial provinces. If they were a senatorial province, that ruler was called a proconsul. So it's very specific names. So this, on Cyprus, it was called a pro... The book of Acts calls him a proconsul. However, records from history had recorded that Cyprus was an imperial province for many years. And that's what, the, what was the only record that was found, is that it was an imperial province, had always been an imperial province. And, and so, as in the thought of modern scholarship, this was an imperial province, so it should have said a pro-praetor instead of a pro-council that Luke calls him. This was looked at as an error in the Bible. Well, it just said the wrong word. It was a technicality, but they used the, it used the wrong word. And at some point, a discovery was made in archaeology that found records that at some point, for, it, was, they, it was some deal between Caesar and the Senate where they bargained on, the, they, apparently they bargained on provinces and who controlled them. And at some point, Cyprus switched in this deal. It switched from being an imperial province to a senatorial province during the time of the Bible. And that is why it was actually accurate to call a proconsul and not a propator as originally thought. And so... Sir William Ramsey found this, saw this, that the Bible was completely accurate, even in ways that wasn't expected. I mean, they had no way of knowing that it switched. And so the, but the Bible was completely accurate. Another one is uh, Acts 18, where Gallio is, is mentioned. Verse 12, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. Uh, that's something I learned in this study. I didn't realize there were two different types of... Roman rulers, proconsul. So he was said to be a proconsul, and it was the same type of thing. There was no record for many years of Gallio being a proconsul. But then later, they found in a dig, found records of Gallio being a proconsul, just as Luke recorded it here. So those are the type of things that Sir William Ramsey found over and over and over again that archaeology verified the Bible's accuracy time and time again. And that has continued to happen. That has continued to happen to today, is archaeology verifies the Bible every time they find something. There has never been one time where they found something and said, oh, well, this, this, uh, this uh, contradicts what's written in the Bible. Here's an error. Not one time has archaeology ever had that happen. I remember just recently that um, they're always digging in Jerusalem. They're, the Jews are doing archaeology digs. The, the Arabs don't like them doing it, and there's a battle there. Of course, Israel controls it. They're, they're digging under the temple uh, mount, and they're finding things. And then recently they found, um, I don't remember exactly what the artifact was, but it had David's name on it. And that was very significant because the Arabs, the Muslims there, say today, they say today that Israel never had a temple there. They never had a nation there. They totally just 
deny Israel's existence because that's what they want. They want the land and they want to, they just lie about them. But they'll say that. That's part of the criticism against the Bible and uh, Israel to say, these never existed. There never was a David as king. Well, recently they actually found exactly that evidence of David's name. So that just happens over and over and over that archaeology verifies the information of the Bible and you can trust it that it has no errors in it. Why? Because it's from God who has all knowledge and who made everything and the Bible is the source of our truth from God. All right, let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for this information about how archaeology supports our faith and how your word is truthful and we can trust it completely. I thank you for the, uh, the help you give us and the knowledge of these things and help us to remember them, to share with others who may question the truthfulness of, of your word. And we can trust it completely. And we just thank you for your truth that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.